Hey, man, I have no idea if I'm, um, if I'm on, if I'm live, um, if I'm on the Bay Area page. Somebody comment. I see somebody signed on. It's after seven. I've been scrambling. I've been panicking here trying to figure out why. Okay, people are watching. Man, I am sorry that I'm on my phone and not on um, a regular screen. But it is not letting me do anything but go on my phone. So I'm going to try to stick my phone there. Again, I apologize for... Um, for being in, doing it on my phone instead of where I usually do, but hopefully you can hear me and see me. Um, yeah. I uh, yeah, I was waiting for I was waiting for my laptop to, to boot up and and it did and everything was fine except it said nope your camera's not supported. But it's not an old laptop anyhow. Okay, I think I think I'm live. I see. Uh, Jim and Fran and Renell, so good. We have a, a quorum, so uh, very good. Hey, thanks for being with me. I am not only on my phone, I'm actually in a different room tonight, uh, so my background's a little bit different, but I wanted to, I wanted to have a, um, an icebreaker uh, tonight. I challenged you to be thinking of a place that you lived, if you look, if you saw uh, my uh, post or went on Vital Concern, think of a place that you have lived or maybe some place you've been that has had a famous nickname. As a icebreaker, I want to share with you some nicknames uh, that that towns and cities go by. It's going to make sense later on in in uh, my thoughts, but I want to start with some really easy ones. I'm not even going to give you time to react very much because these, this first group is so easy. Here you go. Um, the Big Apple is New York City. The Windy City is Chicago. The Big Easy is New Orleans. I'll give you a little bit of time to shout it out so in case your kids are there, you can sound smart to them. Um, Sin City Las Vegas, Nevada. Who would want to live in a place called Sin City, by the way? Uh, Tinseltown. Hollywood, California. You're getting ahead of me, Dave. Uh, city of Brotherly Love. Philadelphia. Uh, the Motor City. Detroit. Big D. Dallas. Now let me share with some that aren't quite as well known. These are going to be, I'll give you a little bit of time to think about these. So most of these are pretty easy. The Emerald City. It's not Oz. The Emerald City is Seattle. The biggest little city in the world. Reno, Nevada. The Gateway to the West. St. Louis, Missouri. Space City, and it's not in Florida. Houston, Texas. Uh, here's one that you might not know, but you'll be able to figure it out. And I've been here many, many times. Chocolate Town, USA. Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, the Mistake on the Lake. 
my, my apologies to Daryl McGinnis, but uh, Cleveland is known as the mistake on the lake. And then I just saw this one on Google when I Googled this. I had no idea, but I know a couple people who are going to know this. Snapshot City or Kodak City. And I think the only people who are going to know that are Daryl Berry and uh, um, Daryl uh, Bagley Jr. Because it's Rochester, New York. Now, let me real quickly share some bizarre nicknames that you won't have heard of. There's a place in Colorado, Frutilla, Colorado, that's known as the home of Mike the Headless Chicken. That's how they build themselves. And it goes all the way back to the 40s when some farmer allegedly cut the head off of a chicken and the thing lived for 18 months, allegedly. And now they build themselves as the home of Mike the Headless Chicken. Um, Augusta, Georgia is known as Disgusta, Georgia. I didn't know that. I do know the Nitty Nitty Gritty Dirt Band said uh, it's no place to be, so maybe it's true. Oberlin, Ohio, it's known as the town that started the Civil War. Like, like that's a good thing, right? Like you'd want to brag about that. Or Hurley, Wisconsin, here's a good one. Where 51 ends and family fun begins. <laughs> Doesn't make you want to rush to, to Hurley, Wisconsin, right? But apparently that's where State Road 51 comes to an end. So they just incorporated that into their slogan. Okay. Let me share with you some Florida cities and their nicknames. And Dave already shared one. And I'd had, I have never heard this. Hogtown. I have never heard Gainesville referred to as Hogtown. And I'd like to know why. It's Hogtown. I've heard of it as Gator City, and but, but never Hogtown. Um, I, I do, I am familiar with O-Town, Orlando, and there's a city a little bit south of us that says, we live where you vacation. Pretty good saying. That's uh, Sarasota. I've already saw that, that someone mentioned uh, Cigar City, I hope you know where that is in Florida. It's also the big guava, our very own Tampa, Florida, which is also known as the lightning capital of the world. In fact, Tarpon Springs is known as the sponge capital of the world. Okeechobee is known as the speckled perch capital of the world. Plant City, my hometown, known as the winter strawberry capital of the world. Stewart, the sailfish capital of the world. Apopka, the indoor foliage capital of the world. I doubt there's a whole lot of cities vying for that title. Coconut Creek, the butterfly capital of the world. Venice is known as the shark tooth capital of the world. In fact, Fernandando Beach is also known as the shark tooth capital of the world. How can two cities in the same state claim to be the same capital of the world? Okay, that's my, that's my icebreaker for tonight. And if you're jumping on late, again, I am apologizing for being on my phone instead of my laptop. Um, got here late. Um, I was panicking and scrambling, but here's where we are. But I... I, I 
tell you those ideas, those, those thoughts of the, the towns and their nicknames for a reason. Sometimes towns are, are known because of some geological feature that, that, that connected to them. You know, the, the Mile High City is Denver. Sometimes it's because of some historical event that took place. Uh, Mike the Headless Chicken, you know, and that took place, I guess, in Colorado there. And sometimes it's because of a business or an industry. Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and then there's biblical cities as well. We know the city of David is Jerusalem. The, the birthplace of Jesus is Bethlehem. The place of the skull is Calvary, Golgotha. We're in this little class study, that's what he said, and we're trying to look every Wednesday night on just some teachings that Jesus shared. And we've talked about some parables and we've talked about some miracles. Tonight is actually neither of those things. Tonight is just the conversation that Jesus has. And it's a really powerful conversation and it's, it's a really powerful teaching that Jesus shares with his disciples. But there's some context involved in this teaching that I think as Americans in the 21st century, we don't really recognize and appreciate. You know, everybody tells you that the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. And tonight I want to certainly look at the teaching that Jesus shares and the conversation that he has, but I also want to try to get some some thoughts into some, um, just the context of, of why it happened and where it happened. I'm in Matthew chapter 16. Um, Matthew chapter 16, and I'm picking it up in verse 13. Again, this is going to sound really familiar to you, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to jump off just yet thinking, okay, I've heard this a million times. Uh, there's some things to, to learn in this passage. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus has spent three years with these men. They, they have a history together. In fact, you remember John said if he were to write everything that Jesus said and did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold it. The, these guys have a history. These men have seen some amazing miracles that Jesus has performed. They, they have listened to some really deep, really insightful, really powerful teaching. Um, and then, So Jesus asks them a, a very general question. And I think it's kind of a softball question. He asks them a question that's really very easy for them to answer. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples give a very politically correct answer. And they give a very safe answer. They say, well, some people say you're Elijah. Say, hmm. First, some say you're John the Baptist. I'm sorry. I'm misquoting already. Some say you're John the Baptist. Interesting. Why would they say that he's John the Baptist? Well, a couple reasons. John the Baptist preached repentance, as did Jesus. Maybe that's why people thought he's John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist's teaching was a little bit different. 
he was a guy who was kind of out there. Jesus' teaching is certainly different. Now, he's a little bit out there. Maybe that's why they thought he was John the Baptist. Interesting side note on this, that people thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Back in John chapter 1, John the Baptist was asked the same question. Turn back to, to John chapter 1. It's back in time, actually. It's forward in your Bible. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 19. The Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, in John 1, 19, the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem sent some priests and Levites to John to ask him, Who are you? So a delegation is sent to John the Baptist. And the question is, Who are you? John did not refuse to answer but spoke openly and clearly saying, I am not the Messiah. Who are you then, they asked. Are you Elijah? Huh. Interesting that they'd ask him about Elijah. No, I'm not, John answered. Are you the prophet? Hmm. No, I am not. Here's my movie reference for tonight. In the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which uh, I think is very clever and, and, and kind of funny on a lot of levels. But in the movie, George Clooney's character is in the Woolworth store, and he's getting beat up by this guy. And his estranged wife is watching the whole thing. She's watching her estranged husband getting beat up, and someone walks up beside her and said, Who is that poor guy? And her answer is, He's not my husband. Just some drifter, I guess, but... He's not my husband. John the Baptist's answer to, to their query is, I am not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not. It's interesting that people wondered if John the Baptist was the Messiah, and then people are asking the Messiah, are you John the Baptist? Some thought he was Elijah. Why would they think he's Elijah? Well, Malachi chapter 4 tells us that, that um, uh, the Messiah would be preceded by Elijah the prophet. And actually, Jesus explains that. Um, you think, too, Elijah has this amazing prayer life. Now, Elijah prays and the heavens are closed up. And then he prays again and the heavens are opened. Elijah prays and people see things that you normally can't see. Jesus had this amazing prayer life as well. I think it's kind of interesting. The disciples never ask Jesus, teach us to preach. They don't ask him that. And they don't ask Jesus, teach us to heal. They don't ask him that. What they do ask Jesus is, teach us to pray. Because we don't pray like you do. So both Elijah and Jesus have this amazing prayer life. And then some said, no, you're, you're Jeremiah. Why would they think that Jesus was Jeremiah? Now again, we're thinking about nicknames, right? What was Jeremiah's nickname? He was known as the weeping prophet. That's right. Jeremiah had a great amount of compassion, sympathy, empathy. Jesus certainly is, has a ministry defined by compassion and sympathy, empathy. Jesus is brought to tears on several occasions. So some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. 
Jeremiah, one of the prophets. I think it's really interesting what the disciples don't say to Jesus. Who do people say that I am? They don't say, well, some say you're a terrible sinner. Because people were saying that about Jesus. Remember last week in the book of John, we looked at Jesus healing the blind man and the Pharisees were saying, we know Jesus is a sinner. But the disciples don't say that. They don't say, some people say you're a blasphemer. Because people were saying that about Jesus. The disciples don't tell Jesus, well, some people say you're hanging out with all the wrong people. Which actually was true. Jesus was not a sinner. He was not a blasphemer. He did hang out with what society considered to be the wrong people. But they don't tell him any of those things. They, they, they tell him, well, some say you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're, you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Uh, a side note here. This doesn't really have too much to do with the conversation that Jesus have, is having, but this is just kind of extra, I guess. You'll never get spiritual information by consulting a public opinion poll. You know, if you want to find out something about Jesus and, and find out something about Scripture, the crowd is usually wrong. In fact, that's, Jesus says that you know, in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there's a broad path and a, and a broad gate that leads to destruction. Most people are on that path. There's a very narrow road that leads to life. Not a whole lot of people are on that path. Um, so don't ask the crowd if you want answers to spiritual questions. Um, but then Jesus asks his second question. And, and I think it's the question he really wanted to ask in the first place. In verse 15, I'm back in Matthew chapter 16. And we'll stay there the rest of the night. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He just asked him, who do people say that I am? Then he says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, we are pretty quick to point out all those times that Peter says the wrong thing at the wrong time. But here in Matthew 16, Peter says exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. We know this conversation. You have heard classes and, and sermons uh, about this conversation. Um, it's really powerful. But if we were hearing this passage in the first century, there's a, there's a phrase in this passage that would have stopped us in our tracks. And it doesn't stop us in our tracks. It doesn't jump off the page at us. But it would jump off the page if we had been hearing it in the first century. And that's the very first thing that Matthew shares out of this text. Um, this, this, the first century people, they would have gotten hung up, hung up on the very first phrase. In Matthew chapter 16, look at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, they would have said, wait, whoa, stop right there. The region of Caesarea Philippi? Are you sure? Let me remind you of your uh, Bible land geography. Now up here at the top, you've got the Sea of Galilee that's in the north, and then you've got running down from the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Jordan River, and it empties into, at the bottom, the Dead Sea. You know that, right? Everybody nod your head. You know that. Jerusalem's down here by the Dead Sea. Jesus spent so much of his time uh, in ministry up here around Galilee. 
Caesarea Philippi was just northeast of Galilee. 26 miles, actually. It was 26 miles northeast of Galilee. It's a pretty long walk. 120 miles from Jerusalem. Let me give you a little bit of history on Caesarea Philippi. First, there was no Jewish settlements in Caesarea Philippi. None whatsoever. No Jews lived in that area. And there's a reason why no Jews lived in that area. It was an incredibly pagan place. I mean, it was really, uh, 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 I mean, it was the Las Vegas of its day. It was Sin City. It was a wicked place. One of our family jokes, um, back when I was just like a, a young teenager, there was a preacher that came to our little church and, and um, in, in one of the settings, his wife and he were there and they both were from the South and she had a really strong Southern accent and she made a statement that we've laughed at ever since. She said, Nashville, Tennessee is a wicked city. Oh, it's a wicked city. And we laugh about that, and anytime something comes up, we go, oh, that's a wicked city. And of course, I went to school in Nashville. My whole family did. My daughter lives in Nashville. It, I don't know if it's a wicked city or not, but I do know this. Caesarea, uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi was a wicked city. Um, there was a cave there in Caesarea Philippi, uh, a cave with a really deep spring. And the spring just gushed water, which in the middle of the desert, that's a big deal. So the, the, the region was very green, very lush, very beautiful. But this cave, this spring, was so deep that people believed that it was kind of a portal to the underworld. Way back in the day, Baal was worshipped in Caesarea Philippi. And it was, it was thought that this cave is so deep and the water is rushing out that this is the portal for Baal and the other gods and demons and spirits, this is where they, they kind of move back and forth. In fact, that cave and that spring had a name. It was known as the Gates of Hades. Hmm, interesting phrase, isn't it? Everybody in that area knew, well, this is where the Gates of Hades are. File that away for a minute. Um, by the time... Jesus comes along, Baal's not worshipped too much anymore. But a, another god has taken his place, and that's the god Pan. If you remember your high school Greek history, you might remember Pan as the he's kind of a half-goat, half-man god. He has the body of a goat and the torso of a man. He's got goat horns coming out of his head. Uh, Pan was a really nasty being. He's a really nasty god. He was considered to be the god of fertility, and what that meant was the people in that region worshipped Pan in some really disgusting ways. Uh, just some really disturbing ways uh, sexually that they worshipped that god Pan. Uh, and so, so no, no god-fearing Jew would go anywhere near that area. Pan is also where we get the word pandemonium. It's where we get the word panic. The god Pan was like supposed to instill a lot of chaos and confusion and all those things. So that's where Jesus takes his disciples. 26 miles from Galilee to a place where, where no self-respecting Jew would ever go. Certainly no rabbi. 
No rabbi is ever going to take his disciples to a place like Caesarea Philippi. Uh, just too offensive. But wait. There's more. <laughs> not, only are the, not only is the gate, the gate of hell there, the gate of Hades there in Caesarea Philippi, there was also this huge rock. And on the rock, the people had carved out holes and ledges and made areas where they would take their own little personal gods and they would place it on this rock. And that rock was called the Rock of the Gods. File that away as well. So why did Jesus take his disciples 26 miles away to a place that was so pagan, so ungodly, so offensive... And by the way, this is interesting. Nothing else happens in Caesarea Philippi. Nothing else goes on there. We don't read about anything else happening in that region. No crowds come to listen to Jesus. There's no teaching going on. Nobody comes to be healed. There's no miracles that are done. All that happens is Jesus has a conversation with his disciples 26 miles from where he usually has conversations with them, 120 miles from Jerusalem, and he asks them a couple questions. As far as we know, that's all that happens. So, what's going on? Why would Jesus go so far out of his way to have this conversation in Caesarea Philippi? I don't know. <laughs> I set all that up thinking, I got the perfect answer. You're waiting for me to give you the perfect answer, right? I don't know. I'm not sure why Jesus had this conversation in Caesarea Philippi. But it might be that he really wanted to impress something on his disciples in a way that he was sure they're not going to forget this. They're going to remember this conversation. So he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, some people say this, other people say that. Who do you say that I am? By the way, it's the question every single person is going to have to answer someday. Whether you want to or not, every single person one day is going to have to answer that question. Who do I think that Jesus really is? Well, let's go back to the text. Um, Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Peter replied, or Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus replied him in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We could spend some time talking about what Jesus meant when he said, upon this rock. And, and, and it's a worthwhile conversation, by the way. It's an important conversation. Uh, we need to have a clear understanding on that. For the, time of, for the, for the sake of time, and, and in this setting, I'm not going to go into that. I will say that, that I am uh, convinced, and I, I feel very confident I can back it up, that Jesus is talking about Peter's confession upon the rock, upon the confession that Peter makes that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on that. And the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. So, Jesus standing in this region that's known, known all around as being the place of the rock of the gods. And it's known all over the region as being the place of the gate of Hades. 
And he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I have no idea why Jesus didn't have this conversation in Galilee. And I have no idea why Jesus didn't have this conversation in Jerusalem. But again, I don't think his disciples were going to forget what he said. And I don't think they'll forget where they were when he said it. You know, we associate things with places and times. And I know you can, I can. I can remember conversations I had sometimes because of where I was more than the conversation that was going on. But of course, the Holy Spirit's not going to allow uh, Matthew uh, to forget this conversation. Um, on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Talking about the gates, I think sometimes we get that message wrong. I think sometimes we misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. I think for a lot of people, they think of gates, and they think of being locked behind gates. And they think of the church that Jesus established in gates. And they think, okay, we're going to stay behind the gates. And we're going to build this little cocoon around ourselves and our programs and our activities. And, and we're going to stay safe. Meanwhile, the, the forces of darkness and the forces of evil are, you know, are trying to knock the walls down. But that's not the idea that Jesus has here. And that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus tells his disciples while he's in Caesarea Philippi, Look at all the pagans that are here. Look at all these people who are so confused. Look at all these people whose lives are, are in a panic, in a pandemonium. Look at all these people who are struggling with so much fear and doubt and, and so much confusion. I mean, they're so far off on the way they're worshiping, on the God that they're worshiping. Um, they're so trapped in the sin. And I think Jesus is making it clear, I'm not going to stand passively by and watch the people I love go down this road. I think Jesus is certainly inferring, I love everyone. And my church is for everyone. And I'm not going to stand by and just watch sin batter at the gates. I'm going to batter down the gates of hell. Who's with me? Jesus is saying that the church isn't going to be some passive uh, um, uh, entity. The church is a force. The church is a force for good. The church is a force for, for God. And I'm sure that those disciples have to be wondering, okay, how are you going to pull this off, Jesus? Because I'm not seeing a military buildup yet. We're three years almost into this thing, and I'm not seeing a military buildup. You don't seem to be rallying the, the, the troops militarily. And you're not running for any government office. Now, how, how are you going to do this? Go back to our anchor text. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Because Jesus is about to explain how he's going to pull it off. Verse 21, Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Jesus begins preparing his disciples for what's going to come. He's preparing them for, for the much larger context of what he's going to do and how he's going to do it 
And it didn't make any sense to them. They didn't understand it when he said it here in Matthew chapter 16. It'd be a while before they really understand it. But we've got 2,000 years of context. And we've got 2,000 years of understanding. And we know that it's the occupied cross and the unoccupied tomb that allows Jesus to batter down the gates of hell. That's where the power comes from. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the truth and that's the proof. Jesus is going to break down the gates of hell and he's going to do it through sacrifice, tremendous sacrifice, and he's going to do it through love. Tremendous love. He, he defeated the gates of hell by dying on a cross and then being raised back to life. At the rock of the gods, <laughs> at the gates of Hades, Jesus said, I'll build my church. And absolutely nothing will stop the church. Jesus made it really clear. We're not hiding. We're not conforming. We're not uh, cowering in fear. We're confronting the world. Not in arrogance, not like we got it all figured out and, and we know everything. No, not at all. But in humility. And certainly in the love of Jesus, but also in the power of the cross. But also with this, with this, with this wonderful realization and revelation that Jesus conquered death. Let me end by saying this about Jesus and the church. We need Jesus. We all get that. You're watching me on my phone on a Wednesday night and you stuck with me for like, I don't know, 20 minutes now. So yeah, we're gonna agree, we all need Jesus. But we need the church too. We need the church. And I think in these weird times, I think most of us are starting to understand just how important the church is in our lives. People who are lost, they need Jesus. They need the church, too. People who are saved. We need Jesus. But we need the church, too. You can't separate the two. Jesus established the church on the rock that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the head of the church. He paid for it with his own blood. Uh, God is using the church to redeem the world through Jesus. It's where we live. It's where we love. It's where we grow. It's, it's where we're challenged. It's where we worship. It's where we encourage. You know, we're missing being together physically. But as the church, we're still encouraging and we're still growing and we're still loving and we're still connecting. And like I said, now more than ever, we realize how precious the church is. And all these people will say, well, give me Jesus, but I don't have time for the church. It doesn't work that way. Jesus loves the church. And we get this tremendous blessing not to go to church. We get the blessing of being the church and sharing Jesus with other people. Let me ask you this. I'm, I'm going to wrap up here pretty quick. If Jesus were to ask us today 
Who do people say that I am today? Central Florida, 2020. Who do people say that I am? And we say, well, you know, let me be honest. Some people say you're a myth, Jesus. Some people say that you're just the concoction of, you know, some desperate people down through the ages of something to grab onto and, you know, never really exist. Some people say you are an actual historical figure that, that history's been very kind to. Some people say, um, well, you're, uh, you know, you're a, a good man. One of many, by the way, who had some wonderful teaching. But then if Jesus were to ask us, how about you? Well, who do you say that I am? We know Matthew 16 so well. I think we would all say, again, if you're still with me by this time, I think we would all say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I have no doubt that, that we would answer that way. Let me ask you this. What if Jesus went to your next door neighbor? What if Jesus went to my next door neighbor and he said, who does Tim say that I am? Am I living my life in the way, my, my words and my actions? Am I living my life in, my, in, in the way that my next door neighbor would say, I don't know who Tim would say you are. How about your next door neighbor? How about the guy you work with? How about the, the lady that you, you spend so much time with? You know, your girlfriend, your... Uh, what if Jesus were to ask them, who does he say that I am? Who does she say that I am? I would hope that my next door neighbor would say, he thinks you're the Christ. He might, I don't think my next door neighbor could quote Matthew 16. But I hope he would say, he sees you as Lord. He worships you. He cares about you. I would hope that's what my next door neighbor would say. And yet I know that I interact with a lot of people. And some on a fairly regular basis. And, and I wonder if Jesus were to ask them, who does Tim say that I am? I wonder what their answer would be. If we agree with Peter, if we, if we really mean what we say, who are you? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Absolutely. If that's really what we believe, people that we interact with ought to know it. They ought to know what we believe. They might not agree with us, but they ought to know that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on that fact, he founded a church, his church, the church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's my thought for tonight. I want to have a prayer before I close and then stick with me for just a, a minute or two and, and uh, make a couple updates. Father, uh, we are so blessed in, uh, in the middle of this chaos in in the middle of this pandemic to be members of your church and with all of the doubt and questions and uncertainty that are swirling around us father we are so thankful that the church belongs to jesus and we belong to jesus and father i pray that those won't just be words that we won't know just the right answer that we'll also know that we're living our lives the right way 
And again, not that we've got it all figured out and certainly not that we're perfect, but Father, we love your church. We love the plan of the church and we love the mission of the church to seek and to save the lost, to go and make disciples. And Father, I pray that you would remind us of that even in times like this when, when being around people uh, might be a little more difficult. But boy, what a wonderful time to let our light shine. And what a wonderful time, and what a wonderful time in history to be able to give people hope that everyone's looking for right now. So thank you for your church. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the teaching and the truth that he shared and the truth that he is. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Hey, if you uh, join me late, I will apologize again for... Um, maybe it's better, I don't know. It's certainly not better for me to be on my phone instead of my laptop. I got right down to 6.57 and tried to log on and nothing doing. It, um, your camera doesn't support this platform. So um, I got a week to figure it out, I guess. Um, but thanks for sticking with me. I want to remind you, I gave you a challenge on Mother's Day to get in touch with somebody and to uh, let them know that they made a difference in your life. You still have time to do that. Doesn't even have to be a woman of influence. It can be a man of influence for that matter. Um, I want you to be sure and be keeping uh, an eye on Vital Concern and all the ways. Again, I am I am blown away with all the ways that you are connecting with each other and supporting and encouraging each other. Um, it, it is so encouraging. Um, check out the website too. Uh, George has done a lot of work on updating and kind of refreshing our website. And there's a lot of good new information on there. And that's gonna be uh, much more of a work in progress than it has been. And so thanks George for uh, really doing a lot of heavy lifting on keeping us communicated. And, uh, but uh, if you're like me, I, I don't usually go on the website because it just didn't change very often. Uh, but uh, keep an eye on the website. We're, we're trying to do the best we can in communicating with each other. And um, so stay connected any way we can. Um, hey, I will uh, hope to see you or at least be seen by you on Sunday at 10 o'clock. Again, thanks for the patience and thanks for the grace that you gave me tonight. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us. God bless you.